Hey friends, and welcome to the Moving Mountains podcast. Moving Mountains is a place to hear true stories of modern day miracles told by ordinary people just like you and me. My name is Paige, and I'm joined here in Alaska by my dear friends, Margaret and Bernadette, as we witness accounts of how God has worked in people's lives in big and small ways. As you listen to these stories of hope, answered prayers, and unexplained phenomena, we invite you to allow this space to inspire your faith and even to help you recognize the ways in which God is moving mountains in your own life. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to season two of the Moving Mountains podcast. We're so happy you're here with us today. And um, just a little fun fact, this is our first recording since my move down to Pittsburgh. So uh, now it's just a 4,000 mile drive if we want to see each other. (laughs) (laughs) And unfortunately... I am still pregnant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we are past my due date. <laughs> past due. So thanks to little Benny, we're here tonight with our guest, Megan, to record. And we're hoping for a mini miracle of Paige's water breaking in the middle of the episode. So everyone, <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> um, I'm really looking forward to hearing Megan's story because um, it's very unique. We haven't heard anything like it yet. And I actually haven't heard the full story. So just really looking forward to hearing the details of this and sharing it with our listeners. But before we dive into that, I think, uh, Margaret, you have a very important question for us. So hi, everyone. Um, Welcome back. I was going to go with one question, but our conversation before we started recording made me change my mind. So my, My question today, my very important question today is what condiment do you dip your fries in (laughs) anyway Megan you go first and we'll get to our reasons for yeah later (laughs) all right so um my favorite condiment will not surprise you it's ranch dressing um and (laughs) but it has to be it has to be good ranch it can't just be like any old tangy weird ranch it has to be Mm. actually good Mm-hmm. No off-brand. <laughs> no. no. Restaurant style all the way, right? Professional grade. Exactly. Yes. Red Robin okay. Ranch. That's. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> you just hit the nail on the head. All right, Paige, what about you? All right. I I think my like go-to answer for restaurants would be either ranch dressing, ranch, ranch dressing <laughs> or a good like aioli sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, but at home, it's like 100% ketchup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I'm ever having French fries at home, um, which we just started using our air fryer. So we have been doing French fries more often. Um, nice. Which yeah. is great. Yeah. <laughs> That's my answer. What about you, Bernard? I'm pretty much ketchup all the time, unless it's something fancy like sweet potato fries and they have cinnamon butter or something oh. delicious like that to dip it in. You know? <laughs> Otherwise, it's just good old ketchup. <laughs> what about you, Margaret? So I'm very much, I'm, I'm very un-American. I don't really like ketchup or mustard. I will put it on my burgers, but She's I'm also dipping. un-Alaskan. This is the woman who lives in Alaska and doesn't like salmon. There's something yes. going on with you, Margaret. <laughs> wrong, but I'm all about the restaurant ranch, Megan. I, I hear you loud and clear. Yeah. Um, the store-bought, it's just not doing it for me anymore. Recently Seriously. I saved a pin on Pinterest that was like restaurant style ranch and I haven't made it yet, but 
but I live with a chef and she loves ranch too. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to find the perfect recipe and never going to go back. So um, all about the ranch, 100%. Well, and fun fact, I don't know if you know, but ranch dressing was actually invented in Alaska. Yes. Whoa. I remember reading that. Yeah. that. Know that. Wow. No yeah, I welcome everybody. <laughs> yeah. Alaska is the place. Oh, man. Thank well, you all for indulging. Absolutely. That was a great question. And um, as I'm sure Megan will share, the reason that came up was because we were talking about her son, who we're going to hear a lot about today. And ranch dressing was a huge part of his, I guess, dietary wins (laughs) throughout his his life. So Megan, we'd love to just hear your story. If, If you could just start with introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to, and then you can hop right into your story. Sure. Yep. So my name is Megan Wollers and um, I have been married to my husband for 21 years. Um, it'll be 22 in December. And uh, we live in Alaska. We live in Soldotna, which is south of Anchorage. Um, and it's about a three hour drive, as we say in Alaska, or 150 miles. Um, and <laughs> my husband works away from our home and he works 800 miles north of where we live. So if you know where the Arctic Ocean is, that's where he is right now. Um, otherwise he'd be here with us. He uh, <laughs> works in the oil field and has for our entire marriage. So that's kind of, um, he's home for three weeks and then he's gone for three weeks. And that's a pretty common thing here in Alaska for guys to work on the slope as we call it. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But we were married, like I said, 21 years ago, and we started off our marriage just like you would imagine. You, um, We were excited to welcome children and um, had decided that we were both ready. We were 23 and 24 when we got married. And so we we're like, yeah, it's time. We're ready for kids. Um, but we were married for two years and we never got pregnant. I always considered that a blessing that we were it's we weren't getting pregnant and then losing babies we just we were not pregnant and so it was like well is this a schedule issue <laughs> is this a problem with that um but 2 years was a long time to just not get pregnant at all and so we thought okay it's time to just get things checked out and see what's going on here um yeah. so we went to a fertility doctor and he said Um, after all the testing, that we had a 5% chance of ever conceiving naturally. And so what that meant for us, yeah, Yeah. 5% is not very much at all. Um, What that meant for us is that he told us that even IVF would not work for us, that there was a more complicated procedure um, that he could try, but that it just would not work for us. Um, And so, and not that that would not have been an option for us, but that's kind of the point of the complications mm-hmm. of our infertility. Right. Um, wow. So we were just like, well, that kind of really shuts that door for us. Cause I mean, it just didn't make any sense to proceed with anything in that direction. And we just prayed about it and was like, okay, God, you have a plan here. We're both so eager to be parents. And I, we know that you put this desire in our hearts. And so how are we supposed to answer that call? Um, so a little bit about me as a child, um, the house, like growing up in my house, we had a lot of, um, foster babies in our home that were, 
um, from Catholic Social Services in Anchorage because I grew up in Anchorage. Um, and my parents would take care of the babies until they were ready to go with their adoptive families. And so we had babies for a couple of weeks. Maybe some of them were just a couple of days. We had one for like almost a year. But it was like this normal thing. Oh, hey, babies um, get adopted. And so that was kind of like my original like entrance into learning about adoption. And when mm. I was a young girl, I was so cool in the 80s. And I had a Cabbage Patch Kid. But I insisted <laughs> that my parents would buy um, one that was um colored that was black and so I was like yay um I'm gonna pretend like this baby is adopted and so like I look at those ways that God even planted the seed of adoption in my heart as a young child Mm -hmm. and so as soon as I got off I I literally can remember getting off the phone with the doctor's office hearing that final message of it's not gonna happen for you biologically I hung up the phone. I immediately picked up the phone and called Catholic Social Services in Anchorage. And I was like, wow. what does it take to adopt? And so um, wow. they have kind of an, uh, what do you call it, um, seminar that you have to go to in order to um, begin the adoption process with them. And so they said, yeah, we have one next month, but it's full. So you're going to have to wait a year. And that was like really hard for us to hear because we had already been waiting two years, (laughs) you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And so luck, you know, by, by happen chance and God's hand, he, we got a call the weekend before and they said, guess what? Someone dropped out and we'd like, you know, to have you come and do the seminar. Wow. So it was, it was exciting (laughs) to begin that. Like, again, we were super young. Um, I was, I was 26 when we adopted um, our son and we were actually the youngest people that uh, had ever adopted through Catholic social services there in Anchorage. And um, we were able, we went through all of the paperwork. We wrote 15 page essays on every little detail of our lives. Um, We were able to fill out a portfolio that had information about, um, who we were, pictures of ourselves. Um, we um, got to choose like how much like nationality of different nationalities were we comfortable with. And so like we could have said, you know, we only want this or we only want that, but we, we just put four fourths on everything. Like we were fine with any, any sort of child that could come our way. Um, we also had a lot of choice in what um, sort of things our child would be exposed to. And so we, um, on our portfolio, again, we were really young, we were really naive, but we said that no drugs, we, we did not want a child that had been exposed to any drugs in utero, but we felt like alcohol was okay. We, we thought, you know, well, you know, I might drink if I didn't know I was pregnant. And so we thought that's kind of going to be our standard is what would we do? And um, so we said, yeah, you know, if there's alcohol exposure, that's okay. Um, And so uh, once we had our portfolio, that was we were an actively waiting family. Um, We ended up waiting even longer um, to be chosen by a birth mom. And so it's kind of funny, but it was exactly nine months from the time our portfolio went live (laughs) until we, 
<laughs> received a phone call that said um, that we had been chosen um, oh my to be the parents of our son, which is like, it was, um, it was honestly just overwhelming and very exciting, but also kind of like super a rocky road. Like just because we had been chosen didn't mean that we were going to get to be this child's parent. So um, during that time, we were able to meet with our child's birth mom. Um, she had come into Anchorage from um, a native village. And um, I will share that um, our son uh, is Yupik Eskimo. So he's Alaska native. Um, and he, his birth mom had come into Anchorage with the original intention of having an abortion because she was mm -hmm. staying at um, a women's shelter that was run also by Catholic services. They were able to say to her, Hey, you know, you can make a different choice. We have adoption services and are you interested? And so she, um, it's amazing and phenomenal that she was in a position where she was given that choice and, and, and directed to choose life for her child. And, um, and that her she child made it. Is, yeah, absolutely. That she made it. Um, Cause her, her idea was, I can't do this right now. And I have to go, wow. you know, I, I just need to take care of this and then go back home to my village. But um, she was living there and she chose, she, she chose us as the family. And when we met her, she was like, um, she would talk to us like, um, you know, how a pregnant woman will hold her belly. And um, she would say, your baby is kicking me and your son, you know, mm -hmm. this kind of thing. <laughs> and so it was just really like she had a kind of emotional detachment from the child that um, allowed us to really claim him as our own. So it was really, mm -hmm. really special to get to meet her and see mm -hmm. her, you know, before he was born. Um, and so we were chosen in January. He was not uh, born until April. And so we had a few months of waiting and excitedly waiting. Um, <laughs> a really, really cool thing that she did for us is that she invited us to um, participate in the birth. And so uh, oh, she, wow. yeah, she had the baby in Anchorage and I was able to be there. My husband was actually away at work, um, but I was able to be in the room and he was born cesarean section. So I played the role that most uh, dads play. I was all robed up and everything. And um, <laughs> I got to carry him to the nursery and care for oh. him in the nursery after, after the birth. And we stayed the first night in the hospital with us. The nursing staff gave us our own room separate from her room. Um, and the next morning he was healthy and he was ready to leave the hospital. And of course, having just had a cesarean section, she was not ready. And so she had to stay longer than he did. Um, but as we were leaving the hospital with him in the car seat, we had the social worker with us. Um, we're walking out of the hospital and she's walking in and um, it's like, what do you say to that person who just mm. gave you their child? Like no. it, there were honestly no words to say to her. And I just stopped mm -hmm. and I just gave her a big hug. And it was like mm. this moment where I thought that I would not ever see her again. 
and I, um, but really, truly, like, what more is there? Like, there are no words to say thank you to someone who not only mm-hmm. chose life for him, but also chose life for us. And it was a new beginning and a new life for us as a family. So we took wow. our new baby home and he was, I just have to, I don't know if you've ever seen an Alaska native, specifically Yupik baby, but they have the biggest, chonkiest cheeks ever. <laughs> and they are the sweetest, most adorable babies. And so um, it was really fun to have this child. And um, he was such a happy baby. He was super mellow and easygoing and um, just, just a joy. And we were in a place I, you know, as new parents where it was just a incredibly joy filled, um, time. And actually I'm going to reverse just a little bit and tell you another really cool thing about Jacob and his birth in the hospital, which is that Jacob was born at the same time that St. Pope John Paul II died. And so as I came wow. out of that delivery room, um, after him, I came out to tell my mom that the baby had been born. I saw on the TV screen that St. Pope John Paul II had passed away. And wow. so it was just like this amazing connection that I was like, wow, just as this child is being born, this amazing, great man, holy man has, has left our earth. And so I just, there was always mm. this like connection for me between Jacob and, mm. and JP two. And so it's like, it's, it. it's super special. Anyways. Um, so, you know, life rolled on and we, um, as my husband and I started praying for um, more children, we were like, Lord, you know, just could you please provide us the means to have another child? And for us, that meant more money because um, Jacob's adoption cost us around $13,000 which I was not working Mm -hmm. at the time because I was home with my child. And so it was really hard to come up with, you know, more money for another adoption. Mm -hmm. I just thought, you know, this might be it. This, we just might have just one child and that's okay. Um, but God did provide the means for us to have another child. And so, um, I ended up really, really late on my period. And I, did not know what to think because I had taken many pregnancy tests in the past that were negative. And mm. I may, I just told myself, I'm not going to take another pregnancy test. It's absurd to think that I was, I would be pregnant. Mm. And <laughs> it was like, um, Jacob at the time was like 18 months old or so. And it was like, there's no way that I'm pregnant. I'm just fooling myself. You know, anyone who's, experienced infertility knows exactly what I'm talking about because it's like you kind of hype yourself up and then there's the disappointment. And so I just decided that I was not going to fall into that trap. Um, but it had been a couple of months that, since I had had um, a period. And so I was like, all right, I am just going to take this pregnancy test so that I can prove myself right that I'm not mm-hmm. pregnant. And sure enough, um, I was in fact pregnant and that was like the biggest shock because I was like now what do I do (laughs) I literally had no idea I just I could not believe it honestly and I 
there was so much about that time when I found out that I was pregnant that I was just like, God is so faithful. Like, um, Mm. I had prayed for so long to be pregnant and I had Mm, given up on that prayer and time had passed Mm. and I had decided that I was okay with the way that he chose to make us a family. And yet he came through in the end and he was just like, guess what? I'm going to bless you. And I think it just goes, it's just further and further evidence that God forms families um, and so now when my husband and I talk about infertility, we really refer to it as delayed fertility. Um, mm. There's no reason why nothing had changed biologically with my husband or I um, to go from that 5% chance of conceiving naturally to, to pregnancy. So um, just two years after Jacob was born, um, our second son, Caleb was born and um, we just thought, man, this is awesome. We have our family, you know, because 5% is such a small amount that it's never, ever going to happen again. <laughs> so we, you know, went on with life and I had a big garage sale and I sold all the baby stuff. And two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant <laughs> again. And so for oh people, <laughs> yeah, people... <laughs> People who could not have children, we ended up having three children in less than four years. And so that was wow. like, wow. We, we started that telling people crazy. to stop praying. <laughs> <laughs> We're good. Um, <laughs> so when I became pregnant with our third child, um, our priest, Father Andy, said, you know, if this child is a boy, you really need to name him Isaac because God is laughing his head off. Of course, Isaac means God laughed. And so our youngest son is named mm-hmm. Isaac. So we have our three boys. And um, at that time, Jacob was three years old. And that was the time in his life that we started noticing some delays in development. And um, he was delayed by speech. When he was three years old, he could only say three words. He said, mama, dada, and uh-oh. And that's it. That's oh. the only words that anyone could recognize. Um, wow. He could communicate. He would say a lot of things like, eat you for thank you, or, you know, um, we, we always say that he created his own language and taught it to us. <laughs> and so, um, but it was definitely enough of a delay. There was other like physical delays and stuff too, that he was experiencing that we were like, okay, we need to get this kid checked out. Um, and because we knew that there had been alcohol exposure in utero, uh, his pediatrician rec- referred us to the FASD clinic um, here in town. And so, Um, If you don't know, FASD stands for Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. It is an invisible physical disability that can affect any part of the body. And it is caused by um, drinking alcohol um, while pregnant. And if we think about alcohol, you know, we think about what is it as a substance. Um, We might use rubbing alcohol to clean things or, you know, it's like a solvent. It like dissolves things. And so if you Mm. think about how that can affect a child who's growing in utero, it actually dissolves brain cells. 
um, or any sort of cell, actually, Mm -hmm. which is why it can affect more than just the brain. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you are building a Lego set and you start taking Lego pieces out of that set, it's going to look different in the end. You're going to have some pieces that are are missing because of stability. Maybe it's not going to be held together as tightly as it needs to, or it's aesthetically going to look a little bit different. Can um, and it's going to cause problems. And so once those um, cells are gone, they're gone, and the body has to continue forming with what it has. And so um, at age three. Jacob was diagnosed with static encephalopathy, which means unchanging brain damage, um, and the cause was FASD. And so we still had no idea really what that meant. It Basically, to us, it just meant that our three-year-old didn't talk very well. And so um, we did what every parent of a special needs child did. Um, we contacted all of the agencies and... We got him signed up for speech therapy. He started going to private speech therapy. He started going to special needs preschool. Um, on his third birthday, he was eligible to receive services through the school district. And so he started going to school. Um, and we just kind of continued on. He, he was growing and learning. And we had these other two babies at home <laughs> that we were busy with. Um, and so... We just did what needed to be done, you know, for our kid. Um, But once he started approaching like the age of kindergarten, we were looking at different options for schooling and we chose um, one of the local charter schools that we had um, in Kenai. And from the very first day, you know, they do kindergarten testing to see if he's ready and that kind of thing. And, um, that he absolutely like laid on the floor and wouldn't talk to anybody. <laughs> and they were like, mm-hmm. um, okay, I don't know that he's ready <laughs> for this. Um, and so we, they always meet with the parents and, uh, I went in there and they said, uh, with all due respect, this is not the right school for your son. And the school was known for its mm-hmm. academics. And, um, and I said, with all due respect, you don't know my son. And so from day one of his education, I have fought like every step of the way to, to have him where I believe that he needed to be, um, in order to get the services and the support that he needed in order to become the person that he is today. Mm-hmm. Um, he was never a behavior problem at school. A lot of kids with FASD experience co-occurring um, disorders such as hyperactivity and ADHD and um, defiance. Um, and Jacob really didn't have any of that when he was younger. Wow. And I'm so grateful, honestly. So his was a strict learning disability. And so we really pressed for him to be able to um, go to that school and and learn in the very structured way that they had. And it was such a good decision in the end. And Um, but when it came time, you know, for his IEP meetings, which is his independent education plan, like every single time we went to one of those meetings, it was just a fight and it was overwhelming. Um, all of the, like, you would think that you have this child with special needs and they have certain needs 
and that, that the school is legally required to meet. And yet every single step of that way was an absolute fight to um, get him the services that he was already entitled to. And Mm -hmm. so, man, you know, God put in my heart, he's like, you're a fierce woman. (laughs) And I'm going to put this to good use. Mm. (laughs) So kind of time went on. And when he was about 10 years old, um, a lot of his behaviors started to ramp up from, you know, there's certain behaviors that you can have as a four-year-old that are socially acceptable because you're a four-year-old. You can right. throw a tantrum in the store and people just look and say, oh yeah, and they nod and they keep walking with their cart. <laughs> but when you have a child who has a brain disability who that makes it so that their brain might be a different age from their body, then oh. those behaviors start showing up and they're not socially acceptable anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when you have a 10 year old that is throwing an incredible temper tantrum in a store, it's, or in anywhere in public at church, (laughs) there's that too. Um, It's, it's a lot harder to deal with. And as far as um, at home, his behaviors became extremely violent and um, really scary, uh, especially for myself and for our other children in the home. Um, And that was because our expectations of him were not meeting um, his ability. So we, we were thinking you're 10 now you're 12. Now there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do this or that. And um, that was, you know, honestly, I'm not going to call it a mistake, but that was just like, we had no idea what we were doing raising this child. Um, And so his behaviors became so violent and so traumatizing to our other kids that I really thought, God, you made a mistake and this is not the right family for this child. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to give up now because he cannot stay in our home and inflict trauma and pain on our other children and on myself. Like I, I can't allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. And And especially with your husband being gone, you know, three weeks at a time as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, he was to a point at age 10 and 12 where he was stronger than me in a lot of ways, especially when he was angry. Um, we had punched holes in the wall. We had, um, broken, you know, toys, like anything that was in sight could potentially get broken. A lot of broken electronics because he would be frustrated. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that, um, the broken relationships that happened during that time period. Um, for me as his mom, you know, of course I'm his mom. I'm going to love him no matter what. I'm going to forgive him no matter what. But just being in the room would cause me anxiety because I didn't know yeah. where those behaviors were going to go on a certain day, especially for his younger brothers. Mm-hmm. They didn't know which brother was going to show up that day. Was it going to be the one that was mm-hmm. fun to play with or was it going to be the one that scared them? 
And, you know, we had mm-hmm. to create safety plans for our family where wow. it was like, um, okay, if Jacob is upset, then you need to go to your room and lock the door. And, you know, here's, here's how you can become safe yourself. And that was kind mm-hmm. of like the line for me where I'm like, you know, I understand that we have been called to be this child's parents, but we are now inflicting trauma on other people, other just completely innocent people. Like for me, it wasn't as big of a deal because I'm an adult, but my kids are my kids, you know? So Mm -hmm. I had been like researching different options for therapeutic foster homes or programs where he could maybe leave our home for a time and go learn some skills somewhere else. Um, And during that time, Jacob um, had an ingrown toenail, not just like a normal ingrown toenail, but like so severe. Um, And it was actually on both of his feet. And so we took him to the doctor and we're like, okay, what do we do about this? And he had such a high pain tolerance that was completely abnormal. Um, He just didn't even feel pain in his toes, but yet they were horrible, horribly infected. Mm. Um, And so the doctor was like, well, what I need for you to do is I need you to soak his feet every night um, for the next two weeks. And so of course, as mom, I took the doctor's orders and I went home and every single night for two weeks, I would prepare the warm water with the Epsom salt and I would soak his feet. And when, um, when he was done soaking, I would help him take his feet out of the water and I would have a towel and I would wash and I would dry his feet off. And I could hear the voice Mm. of God saying to me, Mm. you need to wash his feet. I'm asking you to wash his feet. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode. We look forward to sharing part two with you next Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the Moving Mountains podcast. If you have a miracle story to tell, please call our hotline at 412-449-9609. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Moving Mountains Podcast AK. We encourage you to subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and share our podcast with others. We'll see you next time.